I really want to just take this moment to tell you, you can all run your own business. You don't have to. It's not the only way to have joy or meaning in your life, but it's certainly a possibility. And everybody, if you choose or desire to, can certainly do it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an artist. And on today's show, we are live at Portland Design Week talking to Laura Whipple, the founder and CEO of Scout Books. Scout Books makes beautiful custom notebooks for brands, for individuals. They've been a partner of mine on the show, and I was so excited to head out to Portland Design Week and do a collaboration with Scout Books with Outlet PDX, this amazing workspace run by Kate Bigham and Burt, and also work with Stream PDX, which is this awesome organization that is working to make it more accessible for more people to learn podcasting. And they even have an Airstream trailer in Portland where they record people and they give people access to podcasting equipment. It's a really cool organization. So on today's show, I am talking to Laura Whipple live. So you'll hear all the live energy and commotion and excitement and laughter and all that good stuff of a live audience. It's always fun to do these podcasts live. Laura talks about the importance of collaboration. She shares how she started the business, great tips for entrepreneurs who want to start any creative project or get their own business off the ground. And she also speaks about the special sauce of the Portland creative community. It's a really great conversation, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. So let's get started. All right, guys, welcome to Making Ways Live at Portland Design Week. Give it up. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and I'm so super duper excited to welcome our guest, Laura Whipple, who is the co-founder and CEO of Scout Books. Give it up for Laura. Awesome. All right. Let's, uh, let's get started. Laura, welcome. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. How's your design week going so far? It's just starting. It's just starting. I'm... Um... I am very honored to be part of this event today, and it's Monday, so I know Design Week started over the weekend with the opening party, but this is my first real day awesome. of action, Yeah, and no. I want to thank you for inviting me, and thank Chloe and Rowan and Meg from Scout Books for organizing, and Taisha yes. for facilitating, and Kate, who's not here physically with us, but her spirit is here at Outlet. Yes, Big thanks so many to Kate wonderful people and so much hard work yeah, to make it all happen. Absolutely. So speaking of hard work, you have been at the Scout Books game since 2009. And I want to hear a little bit about how Scout Books started and specifically around this uh, kind of magic of bookmaking and your, your, your interest in the, the business of the, of the book. Yes. Well, okay, we, we did introduce Scout Books um, in 2009, but prior to Scout Books, we, we ran a business called Pinball Publishing, and that we started in 2002. So we've been involved in print and design and publication for over 16 years now, and it really was making books and book-like objects that got us started. And we we were editing and designing and trying to 
find a way to print a experimental literary journal called iRhyme that I worked on with my now husband, Austin, and his brother-in-law, Chip. Um, so we brought together design interests, literary um, expertise, and then just a desire to make things and a, kind of a coordination expertise. Maybe that's what I brought to the game. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of background in design at that point, but we were making these books and we weren't able to really fund it <laughs> without um, dip, dipping deep into our short pockets at the time. And printing was the biggest expense for us. And so our bright idea was if we could print them ourselves, we could make more books. And we invested in the summer of 2001 in, in letterpress equipment. And we had been doing silkscreen also, so we had some silkscreen gear and we got a paper cutter and that all um, had nowhere to live because we lived in a studio apartment on a second floor. So we definitely couldn't move the equipment up. And and so we stored it at our um, friend's place that sold it to us. And his deal was if we cleaned his garage, we could store the equipment there for a month. And in the meantime, we were frantically looking for a studio space, really an art practice space. But we ended up renting a commercial storefront and that made everything we do from that point on public facing. And so it was really finding the gear and then needing a home quickly that launched us into now we have a business, right. not just a project right? because we have a lease. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe moving into that retail space kind of yeah. like forced you to be like, we need to have a, we need to have a identity right. that, that people can interact with. Before uh, pinball publishing, mm -hmm. what what was that moment where you kind of left what you were doing and decided to strike out on your own? Yeah. So um, before pinball, I was working as a travel consultant, trip organizer person for a, a educational travel company, and I really do love travel. But I didn't love this job. I was on the phone all the time and in an office and. Um, I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. And so over the summer, I had been there for about nine months, I think. Um, we had decided we wanted to invest in the equipment, and I had gotten a bonus. And the bonus was several thousand dollars, which meant, it meant a lot to me at that time. Yeah. And that is what helped us buy some of the gear and put a down payment on the lease. And um, we were working on it all along. We were excited about it. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were working in earnest though, to make it set up in a, as professional way as possible. But it was at the same time that, um, 9-11 happened. So we were working on setting up our studio. I was working for a travel company and it was immediately affected by the, the aftermath of that event. And the company decided to shut down its Portland office that year and move everyone back to Boston. And I don't have a reason to live in Boston and I didn't need to do that job forever. So that, that departure of my employment really meant that from January 1st, 2002 running pinball publishing was my full-time job. Do you think if you hadn't gotten that, uh, kind of cosmic push, what, yeah. what, what do you think, uh, would have happened? Was that, was that helpful or were you kind of close to the, the edge of, of leaving that at that time? I think that cosmic push was, helpful for us deciding to be fully invested and fully present and spend all our waking hours working on something that we cared about. 
So that's great. In, in our case, it was good to have to make that decision to go all in. Yeah. Also, Cosmic Push is I'm claiming that as my next band band yeah. name. Um, that's that's a great one. So um, I think a lot of you in the in the audience here are familiar with Scout Books, but um, you'll see. Uh, we made one for making ways in the back, which was so, so much great. fun, so much fun to put together and uh, and work with with the team on it. And so much of what you do there is bring other people's ideas to life, or collaborate, or partner with people. And so I'm curious about collaboration specifically when it comes to creative projects. You guys have been at this for years now. When does collaboration work really well, and when doesn't? It and I think that's something that can be really valuable to all the people in this room and yeah. listening and, and creatives because collaboration usually has to happen for every project for it to really take flight. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's an important word for me and it's something I strive for and all the work I do. And I think for collaboration to be successful, it needs to start with mutual respect. So all parties involved need to be aware of their own talents and respectful towards the the other participants' talents. So if you don't have respect, um, it's not going to be a collaboration. It's going to be something else, usually disappointing. So yes, collaboration relies on respect. It also works best when there are clear parameters. So I like to have rules to a certain extent so that you have a guide for what, what, what am I being asked to do? What is the other party being asked to do? So some kind of agreement. Mm -hmm. And then um, passion. Otherwise, why are you doing it? And it's going to fall flat if you don't have enough interest to sustain it. So right. those are three ingredients. Yeah, I like, I like those ingredients. And I'm also curious about these moments where Pinball Publishing was doing so many different projects. It was yeah. kind of uh, lots of custom things and, and all different kinds of print projects. Where was the moment in your thinking where you decided you had to say goodbye to all of these children yes. and only focus on one of them in the in the bookmaking? And how how hard was that to kind of let those things go? Well, it's it is hard to let things go. <laughs> so um, we had started with this idea to make our own publications and worked on those um, in the early years with a lot of our time and not a lot of commercial success per se for selling our poetry projects or literary journals, but that was what our initial core motivation was, was to do our own releases. And over the course of many years, we had realized we needed to offer more to sustain ourselves. So we we shared our design skills. We did um, planning. We did all kinds of printing from the silkscreen letterpress to then offset printing, but all kinds of projects too, from books for other, other people, books for ourselves, posters, business cards, wedding invitations. Um, it grew to be quite a range. And in, in becoming such a broad range, we realized we couldn't actually sustain it. We couldn't provide the what we were being asked to do was almost impossible. I always equate it, and my team here has probably heard this metaphor of a restaurant without a menu. So when you're a commercial print shop, you're asked to be ready for almost anything, have solutions that are cheap and guaranteed to be awesome, and you need to do it really fast. And for a 
pretty great price. And then if you're not able to do those things, you would not be providing the service that the world right. is asking of you. So be an expert basically in everything is the, yeah, is the ask. Yeah. And then creative problem solving that ended up not being very repeatable. So each project would bring its own challenges and it's fun to solve those problems, but not indefinitely fun. So we were not having as much fun as we wanted and we weren't being as financially viable. And it was hard to train new members of our team to sort of pull magic out of their pockets every day. And um, it all coincided with changing economy. We didn't have a major um, financial shift with the downturn in, in 2008, but it did start to, we could feel it to a certain extent. So we knew we were ready to change. And yeah. we we created a lot of prototypes that winter. Like, we could make this. We could make this CD packaging. We could make this kind of card or this kind of box. And what about these notebooks with rounded corners that were a certain page count that worked well with how our paper was sold? And that was the object that we were most excited about. And that's when we decided to give it a name, call it a scout book, start building it as a a product that we could share. And we really just shared it with our friends, with our clients. And it was the world that made it possible for us to focus. Their, their, like the ability for other people to be creative within the format of the scout book is what allowed us to say no to some of the things we had previously been doing. Yeah, because you created parameters and guidelines, yeah. but there's so much freedom for people to create any number yeah. of all types sorts of, of things. Books. Yeah, beyond our expectations. Yeah, and what about the name Scout Books? You mentioned that is, is Scout kind of mean something about the mission or or the yeah, product? Yeah, it means. I mean, it it has a meaning beyond the the origin of the name which was had to do with people that were working at our shop at the time. There okay. was a dog named Scout. <laughs> there was a contest. And and there was that, like, those those elements that played into coming up with a name that fit what we wanted to do. But, yeah. the, you know, the, the term felt true to what we were trying to be, which was helpful, resourceful, hopefully ecologically minded, hopefully creative, and um, ahead of the head of the curve. Yeah. And what about rewinding to when you were a kid and even like high school and college was starting and running your own business something that you had always thought about? I talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs and some of them have had the bug like since they were kids and some of them just kind of found a need in in the market and really wanted to strike out on their own. What where were you in kind of the in that entrepreneur spectrum, journey? Yeah. I was not the person that had the bug in the beginning, nor the like guidance. I really had no one ever tell me to start or be involved in running a business. That that could be an option for your career. It it was never presented, which is so sad. (laughs) I really want to just take this moment to tell you, you can all run your own business. You don't have to. It's not the only way to have joy or meaning in your life, but it's certainly a possibility. And everybody, if you choose or desire to, can certainly do it. And Um, I think that's a big takeaway from my educational experience of not really seeing that modeled or encouraged is that any field of study can have an outcome that might involve entrepreneurship. And so no field of study, I think, should be exempt from being given access to those skills or those role models or those inspiring stories, because no matter what you're interested in, there is an application that could involve you being your own boss. 
Hey guys, I want to tell you about our partner, Scout Books. They are an incredible company based in Portland, Oregon, and they make customized notebooks. So if you're a company or a brand or an individual working on your own creative pursuit, you can work with Scout Books to create really brilliant, beautiful, small notebooks. And I'm so excited to offer Making Ways listeners 15% off their first order with code MAKINGWAYS. So use Making Ways at checkout and you'll get 15% off. Scout books are printed on 100% recycled paper. They have beautiful inks and pages. I'm actually working on a Making Ways notebook for you all. And I'm going through the process now and it's been super fast and simple. So I'm excited for you guys to check out Scout Books. Visit scoutbooks.com to learn more and let's get back to the show. Yeah, I love that. And besides like the inspiration of just go out and make it happen, is there anything you would have told your former self about kind of the the actual know-how that you needed from a, a like a business practical sense to to get things maybe more right earlier on? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many Is there a book you would have mailed hindsight, yourself in yeah. the past or book I would have mailed myself. I think I would have just mailed myself notebooks and said, start writing down what you're feeling and what you want to do and really start writing down what you would like to see happen in your life. Even if it's not involved in making a business, writing down what you want is so important. <laughs> it's it's so important just statistically. You're more likely to achieve your goals if you write them down. And I think emotionally you're a healthier person if you can get it out of your head and onto paper and look at it from a, a bit more objective point of view. So would have sent myself some scout books. <laughs> and I would have... Cut to the chase. Yeah, I would have... Uh, um, told myself to trust in myself more than I think I did as a adolescent or young 20 part, 20 something person. Yeah, was there a time when you wrote things down and surprised yourself and it really helped become like a north star in what you were doing? Um today <laughs> and and I keep my notebook so I find them and sometimes I'm like, "Oh, cuz you know, you get you get forgetful of how you've achieved some of the things you've really believed you want to have happen and you keep looking forward and it's easy to forget what you wanted five years ago is what you're living in now to a certain extent. Some things are surprises, but yeah, I do find things sometimes where I'm like, that is amazing. We made that happen. And so I, I do try to write every year in the beginning of the year and then build on it as it goes on. That's great. And there was this other pivotal moment in your life where I was reading you were about to go to graduate school for anthropology mm-hmm. and at the last minute decided to completely bail on that. Yeah. So I want to I want to hear a little Sorry, bit. Sorry, NYU. Uh, yeah, yeah, I want to hear a little bit about that because I think um you know, there's been times in my career where I've, you know, committed to something and I've said to myself, well, that commitment's there, so I'm going to see it through. Even sometimes when that little voice inside is saying, maybe you don't want to do this. Yeah. So what gave you kind of the courage to uh, you know, pull the plug on, on that and, and, and make a different turn? Well, um, it, it was all happening about the same time. We were starting the Pinball Project at the same time I was applying to grad school, and I had been um, a Fulbright scholar studying abroad and then came back to Portland and 
was reconnecting with Austin and we were working on projects and I was certain I was going to go to school um, for anthropology because that was what I was destined to do, right? That's what I was encouraged to do in college was to continue more schooling. That was the right, the right path according to the environment I was in. And I went to a professional conference for the American Anthropological Association and I was so excited. And then I got into the forums and it was really contentious hmm. and it felt not, um, just didn't make sense to me. There were all these smart people and they were cutting each other down for different, different points of view. And I, I fled to the documentary zone where I just binged watch documentaries for the rest <laughs> of the weekend and felt good. And that was something that the NYU program offered was documentary making um, access. And so I thought that it would be a good fit. But I basically think it was at that point that I realized I didn't, I wouldn't have been satisfied in um, an environment where it was really about sort of tearing apart ideas mm -hmm. and not creating my own cultural artifacts and being an observer instead of a participant, because that's really part of fieldwork in anthropology is being a participant or observer. Mm -hmm. I realized I wanted to be more of a participant okay. than an observer. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know what would be the outcome of going to school for another six years, but I knew that it would have been um, sort of uh, into the project that Austin and I were working on. So I asked for a leave or a deferment. Not a leave of absence because I hadn't started, but <laughs> right. I asked for to deferm it. And then I uh, at some point was able to share that I was not going to be coming and I was going to work full time on this harebrained project <laughs> that we wanted to do, which was create our own books. And did you get any uh, pushback from the, the, the people in your in your life? They thought I was not smart or not choosing wisely to they were like, well, that sounds like an opportunity, but not a good opportunity. So. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. They Any, weren't they weren't unkind. They just didn't have a lot of understanding. Yeah, and looking back, are you are you you're obviously glad that you listened to yourself versus yeah. the voices around you? Yeah, I'm so glad. I mean, I I sometimes imagine what if that had happened? I think I would be fluent in more languages, which is something I regret, but otherwise there are no <laughs> regrets. Um, I don't I don't I don't I don't think it would have been as empowering of a track. Yeah. And um, this next question might seem like it's playing to the hometown crowd, but it's honestly um, how I feel about when my, well, it's my second trip to Portland, but the people here have been so kind and friendly and smart and creative. And there's just such a, a great kind of interwoven fabric of community throughout. And um, I want to see if there's a way to, to learn a little bit more about the secret sauce of Portland and share it with more people who are trying to build creative communities in their towns and their their cities. And you've been here for a while. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your perspective on this place mm -hmm. and maybe some things that other people can take back and apply to their their neighborhoods. Yeah. Well, Portland is definitely a big part of our story and our journey as business owners and creative people. And so I'm right there with you. It's been an amazing community and really supportive. And it's very different now than it was 16 years ago, just from um, a cost of living point of view. I think that's one of the big differences from when we started where, and I was younger. So I, I sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I just don't know because I'm not going to the same types of things I did as a 
24-year-old. But I, I do feel like from the very beginning, and it's true to this day, there's this spirit of um, generosity and how people do a creative practice in Portland. And there's a willingness to share, a willingness to collaborate, a willingness to be supportive of each other's projects. And I, it's not to say there isn't competition or professionalism, but it just doesn't feel as cutthroat as other places. And there, um, there are a lot of elements probably that make Portland what it is. So it was a maybe not major city, but city on the West Coast comparatively to LA or San Francisco. We do have headquarters for Nike and Adidas that feed into the ecosystem more funding for creative creative agencies. And there's great programs like PSU's graphic design program. We have PALS. We have more movie theaters per capita than most places. <laughs> there's a lot of connection to food and wine that feels like it's adding to just like fueling the the experience of living here. But I think it's really that generosity of spirit. It's inspiring to me. And I hope that I'm able to like pay it forward and be be a participant in that way too. Yeah, that's great. Well, speaking of paying it forward, I do have a question for you in terms of maybe the first few steps, first uh-huh. three steps that people can take in trying to move forward in a creative project or maybe even getting a creative business going. If someone has an idea, but they feel just stuck on that getting started moment, um, what would you what would you recommend to get things moving? Um, to get things moving? Well, I think that literally it's good to get moving. So <laughs> having some kind of practice where you're moving, like walking or Hiking, I think getting moving, it's both healthy for you, but it's also a way to activate parts of your brain that aren't moving when you're, we're very screen-based culture now. And that isn't always the place to get inspired. It sometimes brings up feelings of competitiveness or comparison, which can be the enemy of joy and action. Um, So I would say get moving, literally go take a hike and then, um, <laughs> in a positive way, yeah, yeah. Don't, I don't mean like leave, <laughs> I mean hike. like move your body and, um, try not to be fixated on the idea. Cause I think the ideas come to you better when you're not, you're not forcing them. Yeah. So what, where was I supposed to come up with three? Well, yeah, that, so that, was, that was a great one. That yeah. was pretty robust, but if you got a couple others, um, yeah. I, I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. The idea of writing it down and setting goals and not making them crazy goals, but stretch goals are really good. So there's a study that you're 42% more likely to achieve it if you write it down. So um, start with start with that. And then I think the third is just to... Try to surround yourself with the things that inspire you. So that could be people or access to other things like books, music, art. Portland has an active community, but there's creative motion in almost everywhere. If it might not be in your city's cultural scene, there might be something going on in the nature or the the food. I, I don't believe any place is completely absent from having that energy. And you need to really think about, well, if it's not there, what role are you playing in it? Are you not bringing something to the table? I mean, I felt very um, profoundly moved by when I first came to Portland, I was really 
in love with a bookstore called Reading Frenzy and what that space meant to me and what it exposed me to and how um, powerful it was, but yet petite. And I realized that it's not only other people that should be providing spaces. I could do something like that too. What what would my business look like if not a bookstore? I love books, but what what else could I be doing to add personality and opportunity to the city? I love what Taisha shared about how Stream's mission was to make podcasting more accessible. And so I, I think if you're if you're feeling like it's not in your community, it is an opportunity for you to add it. Yeah. I love that. I think that's I think that's really wonderful advice. Laura, thank you so much for joining the show and for the conversation. It's been yeah, really wonderful you. meeting you. Give it up for Laura Whipple, everybody. Thanks, Rob. Okay, that was my conversation with Laura Whipple, the founder and CEO of Scout Books. I have to recommend you guys go check out Scout Books at scoutbooks.com. We've got an offer running there. Also, if you use the offer code making ways at checkout, you'll get 15% off your first order. Laura, thank you so much for sharing and being so open with your great insights and advice during our time at Portland Design Week. Thank you so much to Outlet PDX for Stream PDX for being a part of this, for Scout Books to help organize it, and to Portland Design Week for having us. I really love my time in Portland. I met some amazing people and can't thank you enough for having me. You can get show notes and articles and see my illustrations of guests at makingways.co. And I recommend you sign up for our newsletter so you can hear about the next live event we'll have and merchandise and so much more. And if you haven't yet, be sure to review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a really great way for people to learn about the show. Making Ways intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.